or welcome everybody uh, on this beautiful Sunday morning. It's so lovely to sit with you all and practice together. I'd just like to welcome a new member of the Sangha. Um, Good meditator. He is, he's a master. Mm. What's his name? Wanji. 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 Is that his Buddhist name? Kumbanga for dog. Ah, okay. Wanji. Wanji. Beautiful. Mm. Mm. Welcome, Wanji. It sounds Chinese, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah. There's a very famous um, Zen koan about dogs, which most of you would have come across. Uh, with the, uh, um, the, 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 the monk or the student uh, back in ancient China asked the very famous master, Chao Chao, does a dog have Buddha nature? You come across that one? Yeah. yeah. Um, Probably a more appropriate question for us is to how come the monk was so disconnected from his own dog nature? <laughs> mm. I was watching a um, documentary on Thursday night, I think it was, on the secret life of dogs. Did anybody see that? I think it was the second part. <laughs> and. Um, was quite, uh, I didn't see all of it, but um, it would be quite remarkable to be embodied as a dog. Um, the sense of smell is about a hundred times greater than ours. Apparently when they, um, you know, dogs, if, if, if you're coming, if, you, if, you're in an, if, you're, if you're lucky to be in a nine to five job and you come home at the same time every day, you know, the dog gets up and when he, apparently that's because the at a certain point of the day, the scent has gotten so low that that's the point at which the dog knows that the master's oh, going to return. Oh. <laughs> all in the smell, all in the nose. So when dogs check us out, they check us out with their nose. Apparently they can also tell, I guess, what um, if someone's not well or maybe what mood we're in from the nose as well. Mm. Mm. And so, of course, the, all the all their other senses are very heightened as well. Mm, hearing, mm. hearing. Mm. 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 Very broad. That's <laughs> okay to eat. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. why do they like to roll in shit? Oh, it smells why interesting. Do they, like that? Mm, they do like that. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> but um, you know, just to, just to last week in Sortel, we were talking about embodiment as being a key part of Zen practice, and how dogs can teach us a lot about that. Um, you know, how the sense in which um, our, our, our bodies are so much more in touch with, with the reality of the way things are and, uh, and how dogs are able to just, um, just express the truth of that. And they, when they're distressed, they'll cry and when they're hungry, they'll eat. And 
when they're not hungry, they'll probably eat as well. <laughs> given, given the fact that the, all those years of evolution, there, there's a, right. a scavenger kind of animal which will, right. doesn't know when the next meal is going to come. Yes. Um, so, there uh, <laughs> are some advantages and disadvantages to being a dog, I would imagine. Um, and of course, they're very loyal beings and uh, very caring. Um, and it just goes to show when all, when all our basic emotional systems are working in sync, you know, when we're feeling safe and when our tummies are contented, uh, when we feel companioned or belonged, uh, then life's pretty good for a dog. Um, and um, it's, 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 it's not too difficult for them to have that sense of contentment or equanimity many human beings find very difficult to, to experience. Mm. And um, I guess one of the questions that we uh, explore in our practice is uh, trying to understand why that is the case. Um, sometimes the word for suffering uh, in, in Buddhism, dukkha, is translated as, uh, as dissatisfaction or unsatisfactoriness of life. Uh, that sense in which we're often uh, dissatisfied, um, famously captured by uh, and sung by Mick Jagger, mm -hmm. and um, you know the traditional um, Buddhist explanations for that, which are still very pertinent, are the sense in which, um, as a human being, we, we're quite easily caught in craving of wanting what we don't have. Uh, which sets us up to be dissatisfied, and we can we can notice that in our own lives in lots of different ways. You know, um, the job that we're doing is not is not right or perfect, or the partner we're with is not right or perfect, or the house we're in is not good enough, or the car we drive is not good enough, or the place we live in is not good enough. Like the list is endless. The ways in which we can get caught in dissatisfaction or craving for wanting something else. And the, and the flip side of that in traditional Buddhist practice, of course, is uh, averting or uh, not wanting that which we have. Um, so rejecting the moment as it is, uh, uh, whether that's a particularly unwanted feeling or unwanted situation. And um, so, um, so many of the ways we, we, we end up because of those, that inability to be, to just, just to be this moment is various forms or different kinds of disconnection from the body. And uh, so, you know, often uh, getting caught in the judgments and evaluations in our mind and our thoughts. And... Um, or just basically, just basically dissociating from the body for various reasons. And uh, so, last week I also talked about uh, aspiration in Zen practice. And uh, I mean, the, the aspiration we expressed in the, in the vows. But as, as I said last week, aspiration is always a, is, is, is about the aspiration to be present in this moment. And um, another uh, aspect of aspiration or uh, uh, 
is, is or another part of Zen practice which is probably not talked about as much is, is play and, um, and I see uh, Zen practice as a form of play as well so that traditional kind of Japanese seriousness we, we, um, yeah, that's a little bit cultural like we, we, we can we, but even in Japanese Zen there's a sense of play that, which sometimes happens in koan practice if any of you have ever participated in that aspect of it um, but I guess you know even in even in even in uh, traditional Japanese practice, uh, just uh, that the 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 attention to detail and ritual is a form of play, maybe a serious form of play, but it's still a form of play. And um, and play is an essential part of human nature, of being human. Um, in fact, if we, were, if we were to look at Maslow's hierarchy, you know, when we are, uh, when we have adequate food and clothing and shelter and, uh, and companionship, affiliation, belonging, um, when we're feeling safe, that's when we can play. And uh, the ability to play is a, a very essential uh, point in human development around about the age of uh, 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 maybe in the, the second year of life where the child begins to develop, a, starts to develop a language and a narrative and uh, starts to move into an ability to play by itself and with others. And so how we see children sometimes uh, talking to themselves and playing with their toys and creating a world and, and being very, very happy. That kind of play, language of play, is the, what forms the, the healthy part of human beingness. It's the, the health, our, it's, it forms our creativity. And, um, and when children um, are, for some reason, denied the uh, uh, ability to feel safe uh, and, and to play, it's a, a very uh, serious uh, blow to their development. And, uh, and uh, it, it's a very serious blow to the richness of their emotional life. So, um, I would say, you know, we talk about the higher, you know, Maslow's hierarchy and when we get into expressing our potentials, our creativity and uh, our spirituality, it's really, we can see that as a, as a flowering of, of playfulness, of play. Because um, play is like, like Zazen, like we were talking about last week, um, Zazen is not in that traditional um, instrumental way of human beings have of being in the world. It's not a it's not a means to an end. It's, we, don't, we don't do this for a specific goal. Um, we, we do zazen for the sake of doing zazen in the same way that we play. We don't play for any other reason other than to enjoy playing. And uh, in a sense, um, it, you know, human beings who can, who can play together create good friendships or good partnerships. And it's in that capacity to play is it opens up that space of intimacy. Um, there's a very famous um, British um, 
pediatrician and psychoanalyst called Donald Winnicott, and uh, he would speak of uh, psychotherapy as being about the ability to play with each other. And uh, when we're able to play with each other, we're feeling safe, and uh, and then we're able to experience intimacy. We we're able to let down our guard and fully enter into that sense of play. And I think our senses, you know, our, our ability to enjoy our senses is part of that playfulness. And um, um, which comes back to dog nature. Um, you know, uh, for those of you, I know that guy was recently on a, a long, I think it was a three or four day or five day, how many days was your recent retreat? Four days. Um, I know that Alex has been on long retreats at times. Have you ever been on a retreat from like more than a, say for two or three or four days on a meditation retreat? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been in touch with Buddhism for years. Yeah, so you probably remember when we go on a long retreat, um, we, our senses do get heightened and enriched, don't they? Like we start to really notice the visuals, the stars, the light reflecting on the leaves. We always look forward to the meal time because we really enjoy the, the flavors of the food. We're really mindful of that. And, uh, and eating the smells. So in a sense, when we are on those longer retreats, we are becoming more embodied and um, and literally, when we become fully in our senses, um, at times that, that's the, the usual kind of um, stickiness that our sort of thoughts have, uh, the way we get stuck or caught in our thoughts, off, it's ten, it, they tend to drop off almost naturally because of the, the fullness of our experience or the richness of our experience. We, 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 the, you know, the, the sense of the, the thoughts in our head are, are, not, are not so compelling anymore because we're more embodied. And um, I think sometimes that's why various uh, uh, human beings uh, enjoy experimenting with various drugs and other substances too, um, including alcohol maybe, because certain, certain drug experiences can, can enhance the senses as well. So. But, but in, our, in, our, in our practice, we're wanting to do that in a, in a, in a way of um, really connecting the enjoyment of life or the appreciation of life to our senses. And, uh, and, and so in our everyday life, just noticing how we get so quickly disconnected from our bodies. And so, I mean, we, we can meet people who are so caught up in, 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 in goal-directed activity or accomplishing something in the work world and can be, you know, um, that we can actually um, not notice how, how stressed our bodies might be experiencing that particular activity. Um, so coming home on a regular basis to our bodies um, I've, I've got a, um, I had a request for a couple of handouts last week um, on the table. So before you go home today, I've got the, the handout on the talk on embodiment that um, 
that Greg Howard gave, he's a teacher in Brisbane, on those four elements of mindfulness or the four steps we talked about last week. And I've also got a handout um, from Diane Rosetto to another Ordinary Mind Zen teacher, just on the basics of awareness practice. And she talks a lot about this idea of, in our everyday life, just stopping, stop, look, listen. Or the basic idea is just pausing, just stopping and coming back to our bodies, coming back to our, our embodiment, and really experiencing, tasting, and savoring the moment. And we can do that throughout the day at various times. And that brings our practice into the day. You know, we, can, we get so caught up in what we haven't done or what we need to do that we, we can easily get caught up in that. And um, so coming back to the importance of play, coming back to the importance of realizing that we need to prioritize what we enjoy the activities that we do not, not for making money, just for the sake of enjoyment, whether it's art or craft, whether it's just walking along the beach. I mean, all these activities are just as good as ours, and if we bring our full awareness to these practices, we're just enjoying being alive, we're just enjoying being ourselves, and we fully embrace our dog nature. So I would encourage you all to uh, Embrace your dog nature as fully as you can.